Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. Ah, Steve Stephen. The man furiously rubbing his legs. <laughs> Stephen Walsh. Hello. I thought I'd wait till we recorded before I uh, spotted some dust on my leg and then uh, furiously rub it off. Today we're talking about South London's front of shop, if you will. Our uh, Riverside Balcony, the South Bank. So prestigious, Steve, that the uh, South Bank Lion once made it to the cover of the Lonely Planet Guide for Great Britain. The whole of Great Britain? It might have been London. <laughs> no, but it might have been Britain. Then. It might have been Britain. Yeah, because uh, I think it was Britain, because the lion, isn't it? You go, You'd go for a lion, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, but then that means uh, trumping uh, the lions at Trafalgar Square. Oh, of course. Screw those guys. Yeah, that... Uh, Old hat. Lonely white lion. It doesn't need four other lions, does Also, he? this might be wrong, aren't those lions cast from cannons that were melted down? They're the certainly metal. certainly made from metal. Yeah, whereas... Uh, the lion, obviously, that we're talking about, the South London lion, a uh, symbol of uh, celebration rather than warfare. So we'll be talking about the uh, cultural centre that is the South Bank, how it became to be that, uh, the Festival of Britain from 1951, which took, uh, mostly took place there, or a lot of it, um, some county hall stuff. We covered uh, the Tate, Modern, and uh, some other bits of Bankside previously. We're going roughly from about Westminster Bridge to Blackfriars Bridge. Pretty much. And that is, I think, what people think of as the traditional South Bank. If you go on the South Bank website, that, the map it gives you... You start typing in South Bank, it starts giving you all this kind of stuff leading up to, like, like as if it just means the south side of the river. It doesn't. You go to the South Bank website, it, that's what it runs from. Yeah. As you know, and listeners will know, um, I love uh, psychogeography. The idea... That people shape a place, but a place shapes people as well. And I think the South Bank, and Bankside as well, because we, you know this will echo a lot of what we talked about uh, in the Borough episode, is a great example of a place that has had various different roles over its time, but has always seemed to revert back to one particular idea, uh, which is entertainment. You know, it was described, I saw the South Bank described online as being uh, twice twice over a centre of entertainment with a brief period as a centre of industry in the middle, which is essentially true. Um, thanks to the wonderful book that you got me for my joint birthday Christmas present. Uh, I'm joint, man. you got other presents coming, Steve. What? <laughs> like the plural there. Um, if you want to hear the live unwrapping of that present, do listen to our previous episode. <laughs> uh, having listened to it, I make I make great play of unwrapping the present, as well as I like. and also excellent choice of paper because it really the rustle of it. It's rich, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's a really rich textured mm. rustle. Uh, great. The PTA at school were clearing out their cupboard, right? And there was a and box of book. Christmas wrapping paper. <laughs> <laughs> so. This book fell out, and I was like, uh, <laughs> I used whatever paper there was, man. Oh really? Oh, it was, yeah. uh, it was, uh, okay. shiny. But, um, yeah, this book's wonderful. As, as we mentioned on the last show, it's, it's called South London. It dates from 1912. And obviously, because this guy hasn't got, you know, world wars to talk about in their entirety, he's forced to sort of go back as far as he can. And he gives this wonderfully uh, vivid image of uh, the South Bank in prehistory and talks about uh, the Thames and the relationship between the north and south of the river. And what, you know, you realise is... The reason the South developed slower than North was essentially it was uninhabitable. It was marshland. You know, this is the river. Uh, the river's proximity meant the land was, uh, as I say, marshy, soft. wasn't really built for farming or building houses. And it's only, for, and you know, it's only because it became useful in terms of a, a, a passageway uh, for. Uh, the movement of goods they built a causeway and then a bridge and it becomes embanked but it's interesting you know we, we, we've talked about it before as being this place where inns opened up and whatnot but according to this book um, the first use of the south bank of the river was uh, villas were built there by rich people where to get away from the hustle and bustle of the river <laughs> so once it becomes embanked and in any way inhabitable the rich move in mm. first of all and you know I've always thought of it as being one big house <laughs> where, where uh, you know traders move and it was, there's always been fishermen there but essentially yeah it was the first suburb um, but then eventually uh, the, the roads mean that 
inns become more profitable and uh, once lawlessness sort of comes in as opposed to the city, you know, as we talked about in the borough episode, inns and theatres, all the sort of disreputable uh, businesses, prostitution and bear baiting um, come in. And that becomes uh, the way of things for a long time. It becomes uh, a leisure spot. Eventually, um, it becomes, once you get into the industrial age and you get smelly, noisy industry, that gets kicked over to the south side of the river. Hmm. Um, so you get tanners. And then also the fact that you've got the river there to like sluice your waste into. Um, and that's, I don't, uh, you sent me a link to uh, a video um, about the Festival of Britain. And they made a really good point there, I think, where they talked about having to panel off where the festival took place. They deliberately, at either end of where the festival started and stopped, they put up these bright, colourful panels. And the guy says it. He goes, because beyond that, it's just a smoky, industrial, dark mess. So they had mm. to sort of hide that. Yeah. If you're going to have a party, you sort of put up this wall of colour to sort of protect people from what is actually happening behind it. It's hard to imagine um, the area before there being the sound. I mean, obviously, as you say, yeah. salmon didn't exist. No, exactly. Yeah, you know, it was, and even even up until the, the you know the festival of Britain, uh, you know, just after the Second World War, there was, you know, there was very little that you could kind of you couldn't have walked along the riverfront. No, but it's interesting as well because, as I say, at this point, you know, the traditional inns and theatres and bear pits have all been closed down and it's all been turned into tanners yards and uh you know warehouses and factories um but you know there's almost like this this thing where they're not allowed to stay you know that the, the this industry's moved in and then you know with opening county hall and basing the administration of london there they, it's almost like they try and make the area respectable uh, and they they sort of place London's administrative centre there as well. So you've got this industry and administrative centre. But then, if you look at what happens after the Festival of Britain, essentially over the next sort of fifty years, all of that industry and even that administrative centre is transformed back into places for people to play. Yeah, you know, you, you I, I was just thinking about the area, and I just had this idea, and I was like, yeah. And then, you know, as I say, spreading a bit further than the South Bank, the Menier Chocolate Factory was a chocolate factory, is now mm. a theatre. Uh, the Oxo Tower was a warehouse, is now a restaurant. There's all these places, all these industrial places that have been repurposed. The Bankside Power Station is now an art gallery. Yeah, the maybe, Imperial War Museum was a hospital. Maybe the most extreme uh, example, we will come to County Hall after, Yeah, which was built uh, you know, as the County Hall, Yeah, and it's now an arcade yeah. and an <laughs> aquarium and yeah. stuff. It, it's sort of like, it doesn't matter what, it's almost like the South Bank's got this, this magical thing where they go, no matter what you build here, what you put here, we will put an arcade in it. And it's, and it's also interesting in that I think it sort of shows, you know, it's, it's, it's a microcosm of what Britain's become in terms of, we've gone from being a country where things are made to a place where the predominant industrial thing now is the service industry, isn't it? Yeah. That's that. We're, we're not a country that makes things anymore. We're a country that people come over to uh, enjoy themselves in. And that's what the South Bank has been and become again. Massive Ferris wheel. Yeah, this is the thing. It, it, it's always funny when you go, uh, we're going to put uh, a Ferris wheel somewhere in London. Put it there. Put it there. It'll just end up there anyway. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you put there. We're going to put an office there. They'll turn it into a Ferris wheel. You can't leave anything to these people without them turning it into some sort of place to have a party. The turning point for the South Bank from being a centre of industry and administration is the Festival of Britain in 1951. Yeah, I'd never heard of the Festival of Britain until we went to Minute Library uh, recently. Oh, yeah. Which we mentioned in the recent show. And in the cabinet, they had a load of stuff relating to it. It's not referenced... It's, it's funny, it's arguably not referenced as much as uh, the Great Exhibition of 1851. You know, and that's possibly because with the Crystal Palace... Yeah, it sort of yeah. went on to rename and define an area. Mm. Whereas with the Festival of Britain... Well, you know, Royal Festival Hall... Yeah, I'd never really questioned. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? No, you just sort of go, this is what place, it's a place where you might have a festival. Yeah. I guess guess that's why they called it that. But it is remarkable. I mean, I'd I'd heard of it, but I had no idea about the scope and scale of it. And also, you know, as there always was these things, fascinating little sub-stories. 
like it was it was first proposed in 1943. And I think this echoes a point I made about something else on uh, a previous show, where I love the idea that in the middle of the war, at a, a time when they're not entirely sure what the outcome was, they're like, are they going to win the war? Mm. Rather than think, focusing all your energy, focus all your energy on winning the war, and sort of going, right, when we've won, you know we are going to need to have some party <laughs> in, in 1951. Because yeah. we had around 1851. And there was, a, you know, they're having like committee meetings where they're going, we'll do this, we'll do that. And it's 1943. Mm. Don't be thinking about that at all. I thought it was 1947, Steve, but if you say 43, I'm sure you've researched it. I did, yeah, it, I did make a sniff note of it because it did strike me mm. as being remarkable that it was... Uh, 47... Uh, I mean, this is the thing as well, you know, you're, you're talking about having a party at a time when rationing is still in force, when, you know, the city... And I guess, that, you know, that was clearly part of the reasoning behind it. It was to sort of show the resurgence of uh, Britain. But it's still... Uh, yeah, a remarkable achievement. So as you say, Steve, 1851, there was uh, the Great Exhibition in Hyde Park, which is when the Crystal Palace was built, and it was rebuilt in the Crystal Palace, the, you know, the Crystal Palace area. Yeah. And, yeah, as you say, they decided, uh, the, the Labour government decided, to let's have another one. Um, well, it I, became politicised really quickly, mm, didn't it? Uh was it Attlee who proposed it yeah, initially? Yeah. Attlee, yeah. yeah. So yeah, what it was is uh, it was a festival to celebrate Britain. Yeah. And I mean, it comes across to me as if you as if you if you were doing a competition, right, of what's the greatest country in the world, right? This would be the case presented. Yeah. This whole yeah. kind of exhibition on the South Bank. I mean, the exhibition spread right across the country. Yeah, which, were, I never uh, knew that. That never occurred to me at all that it would. I mean, the fact that. Uh, they had pleasure gardens in Battersea Park. I was like, mm. oh wow! So it went all the way to Battersea, and then you're like, oh Stoke. Yeah, <laughs> I went to the Lambeth Archive today, so I went to the reference part, and uh, it was all stuff you couldn't take out. But the guy got a load of stuff out for me: newspaper clippings and like the kind of official book from the time, oh, brilliant. and the kind of uh, the books that have come out since. Len, his name is at Lambeth Archive. Really, really helpful. We had a great chat. You know, he told me a load of stuff. He used to work at the Southwark. Uh, archive right and I mentioned that uh, um, my dad used to go there to get Dulwich stuff out and he goes oh we must know Mishy <laughs> small world he does. Small he does. yeah we're aware of Mishy's work <laughs> but it's funny yeah behind me Lakeisha goes uh, oh look there's a whole shelf of Charlie Chaplin books <laughs> I mean, and then one there was the one where this book called Charlie Chaplin South London pulled it out and there's a photo of my dad on the back <laughs> in, the, in the Charlie Chaplin gear <laughs> there's my dad a load of kids Simon Hughes and Charlie Chaplin's son together. Is this the show that you talked about on the uh, previous show? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a book on, on County Hall there as well. So I thought, I'll just have a quick look at that as yeah, well. I pulled yeah. that off the shelf. That turned out to mostly be, you know, architectural plans and stuff. So <laughs> put that back. But yeah, he was telling me about it being all over the country. And then in one of the books, right. I mean, it's, there's so much great material on the Festival of Britain. It's well worth having a look. There's a book by Naomi Games, which just has got stats and stuff, and well worth flicking through. I'm going to have to go back and have a level look myself. We'll put a link, Steve, on the Twitter, won't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet in there, there's this bit on programmes, and there's just programmes from all over the place, man, all over the country. Yeah. Like different... One for Camberwell. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so there were these uh, displays uh, in different cities that were sort of meant to be permanent, some of them. There was a ship that went round. Like, yeah, just towards went, yeah, yeah, the and coast, it docked yeah. and people would get to see bits there. It does sound uh, remarkable. Like, just really well done. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, it, the, just the design alone is such a high quality. Where they've got the kind of that cross with the head on it yeah. is the... Um, the logo, yeah, and but the, yeah, the standard of design throughout is lovely. If you're a fan of that kind of, and, thing. and also uh, it was really sort of interesting to hear the designer of that logo made it public domain immediately. He was like, anyone can use this for anything. So obviously, immediately you got like tea towels and plates. Yeah, and all sorts of, uh, that's what I think that's strange. Really, the merch yeah. that comes out of it. I mean, it's I can't imagine there being much before this where there, there was just like they were churning out this level of merchandise. Yeah, you know, badges and everything. Yeah. In East London, in Poplar, they had a model housing estate. Do you know about that? No, no. That was kind of the kind of more serious end of it. Well, a lot of it was to do with architecture and planning, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's kind that of was the main sort of showcase. Yeah. It was, you know, um, you, as I say, you sent me a link to a wonderful film, and the, 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 
guy who's talking about that is uh, the designer for a lot of it, who was an architect. And his thing was it was to show how you know how new technology could feed into new new ways of living. And you know the Royal Festival Hall itself was uh, this uh, modernist design based on sort of Scandinavian principles. And it you know the fact that it uh, remains standing it still looks. Uh, yeah, it's a building. great building, yeah, isn't it? Gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's almost timeless, isn't it? Almost, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you had this kind of centerpiece on the South Bank, and it was this kind of sprawling uh, exhibition where there's bits outside. You know, there's fountains and streams. So yeah, the staircases all over the place. The festival hall was the sort of centerpiece, wasn't it? As mm. you say, the, the walkways were a big part of it. The sort of forcing people to look at it on different yeah. levels was a, a big element. Yeah, they built uh, the largest dome that had ever been built, apparently, at the time. Yeah. It was quite funny, then, 50 years later. Well, this is it. uh, And again, the dome I'd never heard about in terms of Festival Ritter. So that was clearly... I mean, that was only temporary. I mean, that's obviously... It was gone by the winter, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the autumn, even. Well, yeah, because it seems like there were three sort of distinct areas, wasn't there? There was the the Dome of Discovery, which is basically where the technological stuff was, was, was based around. And then the other two areas were people and land, which were just separate exhibitions about the British people and the British land and what was interesting there is uh, I watched another film which was people looking back on the Festival of Britain um, and there's one guy who was talking about visiting these uh, zones and the guy was like what bits did you enjoy with it things about empire and you're like oh yeah there was still an empire yeah. and uh, also this is the other thing as well this is before people had tellies so this guy was like you know we'd heard about yeah. uh, these places Canada yeah. We'd never uh, seen them. We'd heard about uh, you know places in Africa, but we'd never seen no. what they looked like. Yeah, the amount of artifacts and uh, ephemera, I guess, yeah. from different places, it just it's incredible. If you if you just do a search for um, Festival of Britain in colour, it's by the same upload. Yeah, the person yeah. thing I sent you, like it's like it's daz- It really is dazzling. Because that's the thing you would have had, obviously, in London at the time. You would have had the British Museum. So you could see artifacts from all around the world mm. from a it thousand feels, years. Yeah, ago. it's all very ancient, isn't it? But to see, you know, and this is an entire you, you haven't got the internet, you haven't got television, you you've got cine film, but that's going to be quite restrictive. The idea of just seeing, you know, foodstuffs from other countries, clothes yeah. from other countries, just regular yeah, everyday very, things very from other countries. Way, isn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the way it was set up, the way it was. Uh... Oh, I was going to say hung, Steve, use your word from uh, hanged, whatever, from uh, <laughs> the tape one episode. It was planned as like a series of rooms, you know, yeah. some outdoor, some indoor. Yeah. So you sort of sent on this kind of trail uh, to go in from one thing to another. Um, and the idea was that it would kind of mirror the way that, as I say, Britain, but, you know, more so London, probably the whole of Britain, is built, you know, unlike, say, like New York or somewhere where it's on a grid system. Yeah, absolutely. Or even other places where they've got big wide roads and stuff. You know, in London, f- things just sprang up, didn't they? Yeah, and you've absolutely. got kind of lay, it's a you know, lanes and this gardens. This will fit here, this will put it here. In the vid- later on, you sort of go, you can't really get a car down there, it's fine. Yeah, no, it's not though, is it? No, that's it's why not, you've got something but... like Wharf Road, yeah, which is just like a two lane road, as in like one ro- one lane each way, <laughs> and it's a nightmare, and there's no way around it because that is London. But yeah, there's a line in um, in the video which you probably saw, Steve, uh, even the splendor of St. Paul's Cathedral. Is throttled by grey warehouses. Yeah, like and they show this. Like it is true. There's very well, few it, angles to see. But there's also a great shot immediately after that, where it's just a guy walking down an alleyway, and it's just it, he can barely fit down it. Mm. It's like walk another way. What are you doing walking yeah. down? Where someone wants to come in the other direction? But yeah, they they sort of make uh, the sort of absurdity of the layout of London clear. But oh, uh, I think the point about the rooms was interesting as well. Like a guy was talking about how each area had different textures to the floor. And that was a deliberate thing. It was a real sort of oh yeah, with the multi- paving stones. Yeah, it would be so much thought s- into it. Slightly, yeah, just slightly. I mean, you know, it is one of those things where you're like, I would love to have a wander around there. Yeah, it's like it's very similar to the Millennium Dome, isn't it? Just a complete. It, is, but it just seems like no, but a, a, what I mean is a complete kind of government-funded sort of vanity project. But it seems much more like I was never intrigued at all by the Millennium Dome, but I'm fascinated. Yeah, by what and they likewise, had. you're not a fan of the Science Museum. No. And this is, it's, there's a lot of things in there that do look like the Science Museum. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But it's only a part of it, isn't it? But as I say, it just seems, but I think, you know, the Science Museum and uh, the Dome, the Millennium Dome, I think both of them suffer from 
the whole idea of post-modernity in that, you know, it's now and we live in an age where you can do incredible things. So you sort of go, why aren't these things incredible? Whereas yeah. if you look, for, when I look back and go, yeah, that was in 1951, yeah. you know, the idea of doing sort of, you know, the guys talking about, oh, unsupported uh, uh, walkways uh, mm. you know, and staircases, which we take for granted now. But at yeah. the time, you know, there's a bit where yeah, like, stunning, people yeah. are eating and are like perched over. Over the river, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, as you say, Steve, wildlife, industry, design, science, just celebrates everything. 3D it? cinema. I had a 3D cinema. Oh, I didn't know that. 3D cinema. Wow. You know, uh, and this is... A, this, can you imagine? There's people that have never seen a television, but they went into this room and they were given... Uh, the, it weren't even glasses. They were given, like, a green bit of plastic and a red bit of plastic to hold over their eyes and look at 3D hat. And the, the guy said, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not ashamed to admit it, uh, when the ball came towards me, I ducked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tried to touch it. And it is, it's like, it, you know, similar to the stories you hear about the birth of cinema. You know, the train's coming towards the screen um, and people are diving out. Like, You're not sure about that? No, no, what I'm going to say is, I mean, I've, I would say probably at least the first six times I went to a 3D film, I, I ducked at some <laughs> You're like this, Steve, right? The opening, uh, the, in the brochure or the programme, it describes, you know, room by room what's going on. It's kind of, it's very kind of almost clinical, but, you know, it's just like a permanent record of, you know, what happened. And the opening line about the first room, uh, the title is, How the Natural Wealth of the British Isles Came Into Being. So, I think they might be pushing that. They might be a bit of empire going on. <laughs> and it leads into a bit later on about talking about the um, British people being the most mixed people in the world, which is nice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very nice. I mean, most of them mean, you know, Anglo and Saxon and stuff. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We have Geordies as well. <laughs> Did you see any footage of the Skylon? You know what, right? When we were at the Lambeth Archive the last time, um, there was some great postcards of, of it. Of, and there was a picture of that of the Skylon. And I'm sure I'd seen it before. Okay. And I thought it was some kind of... Like, doctored image? Yeah. Like, I didn't really... I, I just thought, oh, that's a bit odd. Like, is, <laughs> I thought... i tell you what, I thought, someone, I thought it was someone had messed about with the London Eye. Oh, right. Because it's like a kind of slit in the sky, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But nice. Uh, it was it's great, isn't it, man? They should put that back up. 290 feet high. Suspended on white. I mean, this is 1950. And people are standing under it, just looking at it and all. Mm. And you would. Yeah, it's incredible. It's yeah. an incredible feat of engineering. Um, I didn't realise this... Uh, the lampposts along sections of the South Bank are shaped like a, like the skull. Are they? Apparently, I've never spotted that. Yeah. But it's something I'm definitely going to be looking out for uh, next time I go down there. Doing this show, Steve, you are... Like, I'm so much in a mind... It's changed my mindset completely, right? If I'm going to out for dinner, like, I won't even enter my mind I can go somewhere other than South London. <laughs> because, like, I'm like, oh, I have to talk about it on the show. It's like, almost like, it's like a write-off. Yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> go out for dinner I with my wife. I, <laughs> <laughs> I can part uh, with her as long as I get safe hands. <laughs> but like, also, I start. You start seeing London as in two parts: South London and not North London, South London and the rest of London yeah, as no, one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it does occur to me now and then that that isn't the case; that it is just London. And uh, part of the benefit of this festival is that it really did showcase the kind of North Bank as well. Absolutely, like yeah. this, um, like those, all those like beautiful buildings that you, that are facing the South Bank. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't have seen them before. Yeah, and uh, sort of Big Ben was suddenly yeah. like. Obviously, people saw Big Ben. You can see it from other angles. That's the way to see it from, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. When you come over on the bus, like obviously people would have had the, the bridge, but it's a very limited viewpoint. You know, it kind of it really opened it up. Well, just to give people a place to sit down and get a cup of tea, and mm. you know, have a look at the river and have a look at and to see the river. Because as, as I say, we're talking about a time when, uh, you know, at this period, the South Bank has been pure industry, essentially. You know, and the river has been seen as, as little more than a sluice duct to remove uh, waste. So to suddenly have people dining on elevated platforms over it, uh, you know, brings a, a, another dimension of natural beauty to the river, which uh, I think is, is more than welcome. Len, at the Lambeth Archive, did tell me that... Uh... It was quite pricey. 
So I do, you do worry that people were priced out of it a little bit. I, but having said that, it that, never occurred to me it was any cost, but there were turnstiles, weren't there? Yeah, and yeah. the same with the great uh, exhibition, you know, yeah. you had to pay to get in. But saying that, you know, you've got to imagine, like, if people had any disposable income... Like there's the, nothing else, is there? There's nothing Books. else, is there? Compared to that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Festival of Britain became politicised almost immediately. As we say, it was it was uh, proposed and uh, created by the Labour government, um, and there was a general election coming up in 1951, and I think they pretty thought this one's going to nail it for us. But similarly, after the 1945 election, where the Conservatives thought they'd walk it because uh, they'd be linked with victory in the Second World War and lost, um, yeah, Labour lost the 1951 election, bringing Winston Churchill. Uh, back into power. Churchill wasn't a fan of the Festival of Britain. Um, he described it as a three-dimensional version of socialist propaganda. Yeah. Which is a bit hard, isn't it, I think, yeah. in a way. His first act as Prime Minister is to order the site to be cleared. Really? <laughs> so all we got on our plate right now is to uh, clear up this party, uh, essentially. I presume you're not a big Churchill fan, Steve. Uh, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Not really. A lot of issues, uh, but I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you go. Uh, he was a bastard and a pragmatist, which is probably a good thing when you're facing fascists during the Second World War. But uh, I don't know how much value he would have been in 1951. And as it turns out, all he was, you know, good for initially was uh, ruining what sounds like a wonderful spectacle. Yeah. I mean, there'd been other opposition. Uh, before the festival went up. There's a, a film that you read about called The Happy Family. Yeah, Stanley Holloway, is it? Yeah. Uh, which we can't seem nah, to find Also anywhere. known as Mr. Lord Says No. Yeah. And that was sort of, that dramatised uh, a, a theatre time, which was essentially working class opposition to the Festival of Britain, and it would have meant clearing out people's houses yeah people being evicted I mean you got the same thing now I mean, you know, with, in Stratford yeah, where yeah. people were you know moved on for the they Olympics. showed um, there was a news item when we were uh, given the Olympics in uh, when was it 2007 is that right no 2006 wasn't it or 2005 it was in 2000 when we were given the Olympics in 2005 they uh, you know every time you see Trafalgar Square the next Olympics goes to Londres or whatever and then people just go <laughs> Sebco, exactly Sebco and like whoever else Ken. is there they're just going mad in uh, Trafalgar Square <laughs> they showed this news item these like <laughs> it's like a warehouse in Stratford right? and they're going to get demolished if we get it it's not funny because <laughs> they're like going out business well <laughs> but like they, it just goes you know Londres and then like everything oh no like all these people are just gathered around this little telly Bit, bit, like, bit like that, Steve, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, Lots like, of laughs. Is what somebody, has, you can't, you know, it just has to happen, doesn't it, sometimes? Yeah. Like when the stuff on the hardcore studio is eventually built, you know, and people are <laughs> put out on the street. You know what I mean? It's for the greater good. So the only thing that is still standing is the Royal Festival Hall, isn't it, essentially? Yeah, yeah. But, um, as Len said, Steve, you know, the civil engineering that took place at the time sort of to make it into a, a usable embankment, essentially, is the base for what we have today. You know that that was, like you said, that was the turning point, and that gives us the South Bank that we now have. And that spot outside the National Theatre, you know, when you're on the bus and it stops at Waterloo Bridge on the south side, yeah, you look out your window to the left, is like it's like a mini festival of Britain, isn't it? It's like yeah. the most dynamic outdoor space in the whole of London I would say yeah in the whole of the country and you know there's like one day there's like it's a basketball court then a week later it's like sand and then the next week it's just a load of fire yeah and then like uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean then there's some like oversized haystacks and stuff it's incredible yeah and it is that's a direct legacy of the Festival of Britain that area if you look at the area beforehand it's it's mud flats um, and as you say it's properly in banks and cleared and it's not only, but this thing, not only physically, but psychologically, it turns into this idea of this is a place for people to play. This is a place for people to have and explore ideas. 
and that's you know that's the direct legacy that comes out of the Festival of Britain. The Royal Festival is all that remains, but then around it is built what we call now the South Bank Centre. The South Bank Centre is twenty-one acres. Did you realise this? Yeah, but you it sort of makes to, sense when you, you think get about to it. An age where acre no longer impresses you. You know what <laughs> I mean? You're like this. Might, yeah, my gardens are three acres. Three acres. Twenty-one acres, though. That's you know, twenty-one acres for space devoted entirely to the arts in some of the highest-priced property in London. That's pretty remarkable. I think quite a tribute to London as a city. So go have this space. I mean, obviously, you know, let's not ignore the fact that uh, you're paying to see a lot of this stuff. So there's a commercial aspect to all of it. But um, you know, what? three million visitors per year. Europe's largest uh, centre for arts. What does it encompass, the Southway uh, Centre? It's the Royal Festival Hall, which is obviously the original thing. Then, then later on they built the Queen Elizabeth Hall and the Hayward Gallery. Alongside the Hayward Gallery, you've got the Purcell Room. They also count Jubilee Gardens and Queen's Walk. BFI and the National Theatre don't count under yeah, the South Bank Centre. But obviously, it, it's part of the South Bank experience, if yeah. not the South Bank Centre. On the Hayward Gallery, you... It's just like like I was saying outside the square outside the National Theatre. Yeah, it's just constantly changing. At the moment, there's like um, like a load of fabric all over it, and like has it still got the two giants, one on the roof, one helping the other one up the side of the building? Yeah, just... I think so. Yeah, yeah. there's a wicker fox recently. I mean, this is we couldn't even list them all. There's that bingo thing, uh, yeah. not bingo fruit machine type thing, and that my, probably most notably was the Anthony Gormley statues yeah, that yeah. were just... They appeared... I mean, they weren't just on there. They were on, no, the, on, the, like, on the Waterloo Bridge, on top of the National Theatre. And even, like, I think there were some on the North Bank. But that was... Remember, yeah. like, just the first time you saw that... Like, they appeared overnight. Like, it's a man standing... Yeah. What's he yeah. doing? What's he doing? Incredible. What I love is... Uh, and I say I love, because it's usually a nightmare. Um, but you get uh, parties of school kids that get on the bus. You know, you get, like, 50 kids on the bus. And the teachers just say, go... Keep quiet, and they don't. They're just very loud. When they go, when I get the one seven six, when it goes across the river, uh, teachers just always go, "Look at this!" And there's always something to point out yeah. through for the Hayward. There's always, always some mad thing climbing up on it, or growing out of it, or you know, sprouting around it. It's a wonderful space. It is, yeah, it really is. And it's there for everybody to enjoy. I've always interested. Well, I mean, before um, reading about this and establishing the chronology of the South Bank Centre. I always assumed that it was all created as a piece. Yeah, there is certainly if the, the brutalism that uh And that's what's interesting, isn't it? it? It wasn't the brutalism that originated. It was modernism. It was, it was the 50s, the clean lines of Scandinavian modernism defined by the Royal Festival Hall. But obviously, with the later development in the 60s, with the Queensworth Hall and the Hayward Gallery opening, they sort of build around it in such a way and in such a sort of overpowering way that the Royal Festival Hall the sort of delicacy of it is lost amongst these uh, con- and this is not me disparaging at all because I'm a huge fan of uh, the South Bank Centre and the brutalism I think it looks uh, remarkable mm, but it's it does, sort of yeah. it's, it has literally overwhelmed uh, what the site was originally and again looking at the footage of the Festival of Britain sort of seeing what it's become and what it's what's synonymous with the idea of the South Bank Centre now isn't what was originally planned there and talking of differing purposes and the idea of the way things are used changing over time, you know, this is what we've talked about with the South Bank. And I think the Undercroft is a great example of that, where it's just a space mm. and there was no sort of purpose designated for it. But now it's become occupied by mostly skateboarders, BMX occasion as well, but it's like, it's this hotbed Fas- of... Fashion shoots. Every time yeah, you pass absolutely. something first. Yeah, uh, the, you know, full of graffiti. But, and it wasn't the thing, well, we'll give this to the kids and they can skateboard in it. People, it just became occupied. And it became, And this is what I'm talking about, we were talking about earlier in terms of the psychogeography of the area, where it doesn't matter what you build, people are going to play there. They will come. Yeah. And even if you build uh, a very, you know, the formalist idea of an art centre... That includes these certain things. There's nothing to stop people climbing underneath it and going, well, "We're going to do this as well." Yeah, it's. I'm not a big fan of uh, of the Undercroft. I really hate it. Like, <laughs> I'm not a fan of it per se, but I like the idea of it. I like the idea of things being repurposed without anyone's organised graffiti. Is uh, 
you know, it's not it's organized, just, is it? It's saying it's grown organic. It's like, a, it's like, yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's please come on graffiti here. Yeah. And with skateboarding, we've talked about before, with skateboarding in uh, in England, it's just not, it's not what it is elsewhere. But I made a quick list, Steve, right, um, of the five coolest things a human being can do, right? Because two of them <laughs> are done just, they're so uncool when they're done at the South Bank. Right? <laughs> so, smoke a cigarette, yeah. Is that number five? Is this in any this order? This is not in any order. These are the mm-hmm. coolest things a man can do. Yeah, I'll say okay. man. Smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Ride a motorcycle. Yeah. Without a helmet. <laughs> Twirl a revolver around your finger. Yeah. Like, parkour, like free running. Okay. And skateboarding, yeah. Those are the five coolest things Disagree a man can all do. all five of those. All five. Well, well this is not a debatable. <laughs> but like, they threw in skateboarding, didn't they? It's not like, you know, Tony Alva and... Uh, Stacey Peralta, is it? You know, you've got these... It's just... Skateboarding in, in London is so lame, man. You've got it these is, kids but... in ridiculously oversized clothes, like, just doing really rubbish tricks. And with free running as well. It's amazing, isn't it? You watch type free running into YouTube, and there's people, like, just jumping from building to building. That thingy, man, you know, outside that old... The old hospital um, by the IMAX. Oh, yeah. you just yeah. got... On, on the one particular walkway, you just got these, like... I don't know, mostly European, it, it seems. Right. Just jumping two foot to a thing and clinging onto a wall. It's so late, they've ruined it. How'd you I'm, ruin free running a skateboarding? I'm, 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 I want to make two things clear here. First of all, I'm not a fan of skateboarding. My uh, endorsement of it happening in Undercroft is purely the idea of it being repurposed yeah. uh, against the original design. Let's get that on the record. Two, the skateboarding you're seeing at the Undercroft and the parkour you're seeing outside the hospital and not the highest form of these sports Exactly, arts. that's what I'm saying. Well, that's, that's the thing, it's just, it's just kids messing out, and that's fine, I've got no problem with that. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, it looks naff, but they're just, these kids messing around, I've got no problem with that, it's fine. Shall I give you a quick list of the five lamest things a man can do, Steve? Parker outside the hospital. Number one, right? Yeah. You know outside the National Gallery when they put out those little cones and do backwards uh, inline skating and play world music? <laughs> I haven't got any more because I just <laughs> no, it's definitely up there man. podcasting yeah what about lists <laughs> where are they on there <laughs> ironically at the top talking of displays of public art in the South Bank area have you heard of uh, Polaris by David Mack no we've discussed art on the programme before and you've made your feelings about programme <laughs> <laughs> yeah we should call it programme um, you've made your feelings on some of it very clear. I'm going to describe this piece of art to you now, and I want your response. I'm not. I'm not going to say anything no. for or against. It. I'm just going to describe Jesus. it purely. So it's called Polaris by David Mack, and it was six thousand car tires that were shaped to form a life-size model of a nuclear submarine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your response? That six thousand car tires used to make a life-size model. Of a nuclear submarine. Yeah, interesting. Worthwhile? Yeah, possibly. Someone disagreed. Tried to set fire to it. Died in the process. Oh. Yeah. Whereabouts was this? Thames Austin. Outside of... Uh, said outside the South Bank Centre. I'd imagine near the Hayward Gallery. It was in 1983. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't feel that strongly to set fire to it. No. And if you well, are that would be quite good. It. Loads of, like, 600 burning tyres. Yeah, 6,000. Well, that's all well, I thought, you know. Yeah. You impressed with 600. I feel quite privileged, Steve, to have the uh, British Films Institute in South London, uh, formerly the National Film Theatre, then in 2007 relaunched, renamed. They've still got that old National Film Theatre sign there with the uh, triangles and different colours, which I think is beautiful, man. Yeah, it's really nice. I remember once in Time Out, I used to read it at the till at Waterstones. And uh, they have they have a section when they have an image of somewhere in London. It's like where is it? You know, you have to write in or whatever guess. And it was that, and I got you know, I got it. Did you win? I didn't or did it. you just turn to someone I was win- and go, "That is the." I was getting paid to sit down there and read time out. I was winning <laughs> already. It was properly spruced up. You've got like the bookshop in there is really nice. Um, there's like bars inside. There's a gallery area. The media tech. Yeah, the media tech. Just where remarkable you can sit resource. there and just watch like loads of stuff from the last hundred years we are Lambeth boys for example yeah. uh, they've got the kind of riverfront uh, calf now which I went there the other day because me and my mum were meeting Lakeisha and she was running late or something like that and 
we were even though we were like drinking in, they gave us paper cups, man. So that put me off. But yeah, no, I went to. Uh, you look a bit rowdy though, and your mum. They know what these people yeah, are. Yeah, right, take that outside. <laughs> but yeah, I went to see um, the Wild Bunch there, right when it was the National Film Theatre, and then like weirdly, a couple of years later, four or five years later, I went to see uh, a Peckinpah T- on TV double bill. Oh, really? On crutches, right? You know, I had my oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I've yeah. had my mentions on the podcast before. I just hobbled. There was such hard work getting. And you there. were saying about the staircase just being. Yeah, and then I saw, and then the next day, I had tickets for two days in a row for Peckinpah stuff, and like because you you book like kind of fairly far in advance, like a month in advance sometimes, and it was a uh, Peckinpah Major Dundee, and like, it was a cut that you wouldn't normally find, and I had to see it because Peckinpah is one of my favourites. And like this thing, Noon Wine, that I'd seen the day before. It's not available. It's never been available. It was yeah. on TV, I think. I think it was a TV play. Anyway, like this is not a Peckinpah podcast. <laughs> not yet. But no, I, so I hobbled into the uh, into the BFI, basically. And I eventually like, made my way up to the bars. I saw dripping in sweat. It's January. And like freezing cold. I'm sweating because it was just such hard work. And it's my birthday. And like the Keisha was like, we had an argument on the way out. She's like, don't go. You can't go out like this. You can't walk. Like... <laughs> And I did slipped on the way to the bar stop. It was a nightmare. Then I got up to the bar and I saw Amara Cameron from the Dodgy Limited Sweet <laughs> Sweet Lime. I told you this before. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just sitting there and it just made, it's my favourite birthday memory ever. <laughs> Lakeisha doesn't listen to the show, so it's fine. Yeah. You can say uh, speaking of Lakeisha, though, you know, it used to be the Museum of Moving Image. Yeah. Which I'd completely forgotten because I never went there. And it's only when I was doing research for the show, I was like, oh, it was that, wasn't it? And um, I went there when it was Moni. Lakeisha said that um, she went there with... No, she said that her school went there and she didn't go for some reason. Oh. And they all came back with badges that would, like, sort of move, had moving images on there. You know, like, oh, it's right, just, like, yeah. kind of... Hol- not hologram, what's the word for when you move something and it kind of does a little... Yeah, it's just got the... Um... So you facets, isn't it? So it yeah, do, like do that with your hands, Steve. They'll definitely get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You went there, did you? I went there with my friend Alison years ago, and uh, at the time, uh, as part of the sort of experience in the museum, they had people dressed up as like um, usherettes and you know uh, people you'd find in cinemas at the time. And I didn't realise this was part of the show. You're just sort of walking through, and there's this music player, and this uh, woman dressed as an usherette just grabbed me and started dancing with me. <laughs> I went with it. It's fine. My, my friend Alison got a lovely uh, photograph that she turned into a birthday card later in the year. It seems like it was um, never really high on their agenda. I mean, it opened in 88, was it? And then basically closed in 99. And it was run by the BFI, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were never... They never put their all into it like they did with the National Film Fair. No, that's what it sounds like. Isn't yeah, it? They yeah. just, like, knocked it on the head. When you do read about it, it does not really seem that important. It was very much, it's, it's not, you know, what they've got now is a much better setup. Because now it's about, you know, there it was, it, the equivalent of it now is, uh, have you been to the London Film Museum in County Hall? I haven't. No. Right. It's, it, it was is small, it good? It's, it's all right. I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's not great. It's, it's pricey. It's, you don't get a value for money there. Oh, right. But it's, you know, it's what you'd expect to see, which is a lot of props and uh, examples of cameras and projectors. Ah, oh, a bit like in Planet Hollywood, like I said before, but you get burger and chips there. <laughs> Yeah, what they've got now, obviously, what they had before was a celebration of what cinema was. Yeah, it's kind of an old thing, isn't it? Moving image. Yes, because it's not just cinema, is it? It's things like, um, yeah, like the forerunners to it and stuff. You know, imagine zoetropes and stuff. Yeah, kinetoscopes. Although, you know what? I saw a zoetrope in, um, I guess it must have been in Euro Disney. Have you ever seen one before? Yeah, remarkable. I saw one in Euro Disney. It was absolutely stunning. Yeah. It was like Mickey Mouse, like jumping over a fence or something. It was (laughs) superb. But now the setup at the BFI is uh, loads of screens, isn't it? Loads mm. of things we can yeah, watch. Yeah, it's like a, it's a Perfect. great cinema. Man. Yeah. We um, did you go? We went to see that John Luke Goddard and Francois Truffaut. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I tell you what, yeah. Let me just throw this in. Yeah, people won't care. Yeah, but I just want to say it. Yeah, I went to see uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button there with David Fincher doing a Q and A. Man, one of my all time heroes. Oh, brilliant. Row, the row in front of me, I was on crutches again. I went there three times that month. But I was, to be a fight. Um, All the same accent. That's not my favourite here, Jack. Lakeisha's not knocking one. him about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, row in front of me, Jason Fleming. Watching oh, wow. The film. Okay. Who plays Benjamin Mark's dad? Have you ever been to the Royal Festival? Never. I've only been once. And again, reading about it for the show, 
it sounds like there were always issues with acoustics. It was oh. uh, at the time they thought they designed it particularly well for acoustics, but um, it was an absolute nightmare. Apparently, a lot of woods, a lot of moving parts. It just basically just threw the sound all over the place. Performers uh, hated it there because they just it just never sounded right to them as they performed. So they did a refurb uh, a few years ago. And apparently fixed it so that it sounds great on stage for performers. Oh. But it still sounds terrible. So I was like, but the only time I've been to Royal Festival Hall was to see Public Enemy, who was so good live and obviously so bombastic. No one's coming out of a, of a Public Enemy again. I didn't hear it properly. Boy! Yeah, exactly. The problem with Flavius Flav is he doesn't project across <laughs> an open space. Uh. The problem with Chuck Lee is his voice can't fill. Of course, his voice can fill a room. His voice can you know fill whatever he needs to. Mm. So yeah, it, uh, probably not a fair take on the sound quality of the room because it sounds incredible as they always do outside there Steve as well continuing the kind of festival legacy although not really you know it's almost a coincidence isn't it you've got that E4 Udderbelly uh, thing which is what yeah. stand up comedy yeah? yeah yeah and it's like the massive tent with udders in it yeah I don't know do good people play there uh, I, I'm once, sure they have I once saw Jesse Eisenberg work, walking towards it so, okay that's yeah. a good time isn't it yeah if yeah. Jesse Bogue was running away from it screaming, you'd sort of go, that's <laughs> it's a terrible uh, for the place. We've already talked about the London Eye on episode 35, in depth, with your man, Owen Pomery. So if you want to hear about that, go back. But yeah, uh, County Hall, Steve, at your other end of uh, the South Bank. Yeah, County Hall, which, you know, again, reading about the history of the area, it feels like it was built as the punctuation mark in this attempt to redefine the area away from leisure. So you had, like, factories and industry all the way across and at the end they put this giant set of offices and sort of said that's it no more fun is to be had here didn't last you know opens in 1922 as the headquarters initially of London County Council um, and then later on obviously the Greater London Council the GLC probably it's most famous period yeah Len was telling me he's getting a lot of shout outs Len isn't he I'm, I'm worried about my position as uh, co-host <laughs> if, uh, if, if, if you tune in next week and Len's here, don't expect to ever hear me again. This <laughs> when is... I told him that you did most of your research on the internet, he was outraged. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> but yeah, he says that uh, in the interwar period, like the LCC was as powerful as the state. Like They ran hospitals, education, welfare, parks. Like, it's, like so the list went on and on, uh, you know, before the NHS was created. So, like, the LCC opposite Parliament was, like, as powerful. Yeah, the location opposite Parliament uh, became quite important as well, uh, particularly once um, the Labour Party became the dominant force in the GLC and Ken Livingston, the leader of the Labour Party in the Great London Council. Um, they made use of its location, basically to hang banners and slogans outside pretty much just to agitate Margaret Thatcher as far as I can tell um, yeah I mean it's incredible isn't it you've got the Houses of Parliament which uh, what, what, when, that, when was that built uh, well, Westminster Hall uh, would be medieval yeah I mean this kind of uh, this kind of uh, gothic yeah kind of almost golden isn't it this, yeah. you know this huge it's so uh, ornate isn't it yeah and yeah. in opposite you've got this like Portland Stone Baroque yeah it's extraordinary. Two extraordinary buildings, aren't they? It's yeah. Just sitting there, quite literally facing each other. Yeah. I mean, not literally, but diagonally. <laughs> but no, visible, visible yeah. from one another. Yeah. Uh, so, Livingston would take the opportunity to. And it's nice that, that you know, in the, at the GLC, you know, uh, in the eighties, you know, with the GLC, the goodies were on our side, Steve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice. Well, and, and also the, the form their protest would take, like. Uh, Ken Livingston would would proudly display banners declaring London to be a nuclear free zone as, you know, Thatcher's uh, signing off on Trident on the other side of the river. Um, when the GLC were being closed down, he had a for sale sign sung, hung outside the building, which I thought was nice. But probably my favourite thing, I, I have no recollection. I remember seeing London's and Luke Fruvone stickers and whatnot, and obviously knew that the GLC was abolished. But um, apparently what Livingston used to do was every time rising unemployment figures were announced, he'd just uh, make, have a banner made and hang it outside of County Hall. So that would literally uh, face Parliament and they'd have to face up to uh, their failings. In 1986, Thatcher eventually gets her way and the GLC's abolished. 
Um, initially, there's plans for the London School of Economics to move in, mm. which would make sense. But apparently, Thatcher was so scared of more sloganeering being done, she blocked oh, the move. Oh, yeah, because yeah. student. Yeah, uh... she was like, the last thing I need is more bullshit <laughs> students yeah. telling me about myself. So she blocks that. Um, it, the last day... Let's turn it over to private industry. <laughs> the last day of the GLC uh, sounds remarkable. Um, the flags on the building were all hung at half-mast. Uh, and they had a concert at the Royal Festival Hall. Um, where the London uh, Symphony Orchestra played Billy, Hayden's... All the, be- the best of Billy Bragg. <laughs> they played Hayden's Farewell Symphony. Um, and the room was lit by candles. Right. And as they played it, uh, they blew out the candles. And Livingston blew out the last one, descending the room into darkness. They know how to say goodbye, didn't they? Quite a poignant and overblown ceremony for uh, the closing of a local newsroom. <laughs> <anything. laughs> so, all right, it's not. Uh, not the, you guys are all just sort of weeping and uh, tearing their shirts. You're like, it's all right. You're, they're they're, they're going to do something else. And now it's uh, two hotels, uh, an aquarium, London Dungeons moving in next year. Which I've never been to, but breeding online apparently is dreadful. It's an overpriced haunted yeah, house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem uh, that it's sort of heading downhill a little bit. Like at the moment, as you say, there's an aquarium. Yeah, which I mean, is it nice. is pretty low rent as is. I mean, there's a McDonald's in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once you've got a McDonald's in there. Um, but the Dali Universe was there, wasn't it? That's yeah, and the Saatchi Gallery was there. Yeah, they were evicted, weren't they? They were evicted. Kept putting. Uh, Pieces of art all over the place, you know, where it's supposed to be. But yeah, I think it's quite symbolic to sort of go from a building that holds the Sartre Gallery to the new home of the London Dungeon there. You're like, okay, yeah. it's going to be that place rather than that place. Although, you must admit, Steve, Sartre Gallery would have had some junk in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some terrible stuff. I used to work at uh, County Hall. Yeah, in Namco. Yeah, yeah in Namco. And, um, and I was, even at the time, working there. It always felt like this massive... Uh, lost opportunity because you know working there obviously pick, you know getting deliveries and stuff you just would wander around uh, the sort of back rooms and these massive corridors and there was always talk of uh, you know secret tunnels and uh, bunkers and because it was you know a government yeah. building and we you know uh, we would have a dig around but you know there's a door locked and you're like I don't really want to break a no, door down no, no. you know I'd, I'd rather get fired <laughs> to find out what's behind it yeah, but it was I'm on 370 an hour <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford to lose this um, but yeah it was it, and you know there's so much scope with a building like that but you know realistically it, you know if we've learned anything um, from this modern world it's the best way to maximise your profit on a building like that is to fill it with absolute junk. Yeah. And just let people come along and, ch- and charge them far too much to have a look at your rubbish. But, Steve, and it's just occurred to me now that I had my stag do in uh, the GLC headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Namco is sort of secretly, it's kind of a, a secret gem, I think. Yeah, like, it to, is. Like, I, I like to watch football frequently. I have to go to public houses to do it because I don't have uh, Sky Sports. And also, sometimes you want to meet people socially, you know. And the trouble is with football pubs, it has football people in there and they want to talk to you about football and stuff and it's horrible. (laughs) And they don't do coffee and stuff or food, right? In Namco, they've got leather sofas. Like, I'm not... The thing is, no one listening to this likes football. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're not going to ruin that. But we've been there loads of times because there's a projector there. And, like, there's loads of tellies and there's leather seats and they do food and they do coffee. And no one will bother you about football. There might be a few, like, kind of 20-something Europeans in Barcelona shirts. Yeah. It's great. I mean, remember last time we went there and there were those two guys, two, like, guys in their 50s sitting there on... Uh, Skype or something or chat room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a bit creepy. <laughs> but it's really good, Namco man. Like, yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it seems like it should be a terrible idea, but and I'm sure it's a lovely hotel to stay in. <laughs> well, it's a Marriott, I think. So, uh, well, partly, and yeah. it's a Marriott and someone else. It's like a budget hotel as yeah, well. Yeah, two like in a one. Travel tavern or something. Yeah. That's not a brand name. That's from Partridge, isn't it? I've just realised. <laughs> yeah. There won't be one of those there. I imagine all those ones are sort of facing south, aren't they? <laughs> Bring your own plate. <laughs> <laughs>
Did you know, Steve, that that hexagonal building um, that has, was knocked down in to make way for another hotel? Yeah, the Park <laughs> Plaza. Yeah, was was the part of the uh, County Hall as well? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, offices, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I don't ever remember. Well, I, say I don't remember from 1986. It was uh, it was deserted. Yeah, I don't remember ever seeing it in operation. No, but it was. I always thought it was a car park because it was oh. so. It had been empty inside so long. Do you know what I mean? It was so der- it was so fully derelict. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is entering into a time as well where there weren't many derelict buildings. I mean, in the eighties, early nineties, you know, you could the, you know you could smash windows and like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, there were places where people would wander in and you know you could like you know urinate in a corner. But you know we're at, we're in a situation now where that doesn't exist, does it? Yeah, it's yeah. Certainly not in zone one. Yeah. Like, everything is under construction yeah. if it hasn't already been redeveloped. Like, you know, we're walking around Deptford, for example, and there's not a space anymore that isn't being developed. And it's very no, rare. The riverside find... as well being built on everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that kind of hexagonal eyesore. Uh, well, County was... Hall Island block, it was known as. Yeah, when I worked at uh, Namco, it was still uh, not developed. And that was one of the things where we knew... I mean, it's fully 20 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. But we, we knew uh, that was part of the complex. So we were always trying to find the tunnel to link to. Mm. I don't know what we were going to do when we found yeah, it. Was only, was it only accessible from County Hall? Is that right? I believe so, yeah. roundabout, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I stumbled across this website. And remind us to put a link on Twitter, because I might forget, at SLHC Podcast, southernhardcore.com as well. Um, there's an article in a design, uh, an architecture magazine, and there's a lo- there's about five or six really great photos of it, um, and there's a load of text as well, like well worth having a look at. But yeah, it was that was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? Really, it yeah. was, that was yeah. a bit too brutal. <laughs> Whenever it was demolished, yeah, which is like 2006, 2007, something like that, they had like uh, a countdown clock there to when it was going to be demolished. So I kind of did the maths, and I think it must have been. I must not have had a job or whatever. <laughs> but I went up there with my camera and I thought, oh, film it being demolished, it'd be great. It'd be like in, in uh, archival footage where you just see a building coming down and yeah, the big yeah. Controlled demolition. Controlled demolition, yeah, that's yeah. it. So I turned up, yeah, set up my tripod and I'd got the time wrong by an hour. So I was like, this is fine. I'll just sit on the wall outside St. Thomas's. And an hour goes past and like, there's like a dig, not a, not a digger, like a, not a ball, not even one of those things with the big balls on to smash it down. Right. Just like this kind of crane with a kind of uh, picky arm. Yeah. And it just starts like kind of... Chipping away. Chipping away, yeah. And there's a kid in it who's like some kind of Make-A-Wish Foundation kid, <laughs> right? And his his dream is to destroy um, some brutalist a, architecture. a former municipal building. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and like, he just starts nudging it with a thing. Like, and like, like it's like crumbling off like little bits of chipping away it's basically erosion That's exactly yeah doing. it was so anticlimactic so you, you bought your your camera and tripod to the dullest demolition of all time I asked a man to move his coach right <laughs> this guy had parked his coach in front of me <laughs> mate I've been I was trying to film I've got this got shot for uh... and like the man drove like a, a like 60 person coach away so that I could film the thing <laughs> yeah. there were other people there were people with cameras and stuff yeah so they were like 20 minutes and then and went home was rubbish. the consensus that it was uh, a terrible day it was anticlimactic Steve to say the least and yet at the same time for that building very much climactic yeah and now Eventually. you've got that quite fancy hotel where for some reason kind of businessmen sit outside next to you know exhaust <laughs> I've uh, I've been to a function at the Park Plaza as well. I oh, went yeah. to when I was uh, a judge for the British Sports Book Awards a few years ago. Uh, the uh, awards dinner was at the Park Plaza. It was it was actually um, one of the first functions they did after it opened, and uh, it was all in a, a ballroom downstairs. So yeah, very swish setup. Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, and it is better than it just being nothing, isn't it? Yeah, and it also led to renovation of the building opposite as well, which is Absolutely, also part yeah. of it. Yeah, and next to that, which I think is the hospital my dad was born in, the uh, is it called the Westminster Lion Inn Hospital? Because my dad had us on his birth certificate that he was born in Westminster, oh, which is not of... accurate. It's yeah, on Westminster yeah. Bridge Road, but it's not in Westminster. Yeah, yeah. Is it York Road? Yeah, York Road. Yeah. Which has been like kind of all the, the stone has been buffed and stuff because there's mm. a load of like you know stone carving and stuff. That's really nice. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen in uh, 2051 then. Yeah. 
I mean, we just, Should we start organising something now? We just need to make sure we've got a Labour government. Because <laughs> if there's a Conservative government, there's not going to be no great festivals there. No great exhibitions. Probably by then, they'll have done some sort of Dolly the Sheep style cloning for Churchill. And they'll just be uh, ratcheting around money. Ruining it for everyone. Mm-hmm.